0: Amen. Give it up for the band, y'all. They are doing a fantastic job. So my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. And I've been a Christian for about uh, 13, 14 years. And being a Christian uh, affords me, in my opinion, a lot of uh, actual, real, tangible benefits in my life, right? So I think that the more I study and learn who Jesus is, the better husband that I am. I think that uh, following Jesus means in my household at least, doing the dishes, right? Where's my wife? I'm sure she's giving an amen somewhere. There we go. Right, so the more you study about Jesus, I think that uh, that certainly benefits me very directly. But I also think uh, that it's benefited me a lot even in my friendships, right? So I think that over the course of years, uh, in any friendship you have, people are gonna disappoint you and people are gonna let you down. And you're gonna have a decision to make whether or not you're gonna forgive them and I think that being a Christian meant that I've, I've forgiven people and some people have forgiven me for some of the things that I've done. And what that's given me is actually uh, friendships that have survived the test of time and are really, really good. Um, not only just friendships and uh, my, my, my marriage, but I think that being a Christian has helped me in almost every other area of my life and my job, right? So working, I feel that. Uh, if we're working just because we're getting a paycheck, it's much different than uh, working as you're working to God. And I felt that because I was a Christian, I've worked hard and I've enjoyed job stability. Good things, right? But there, there comes a point in everybody's walk, there comes a point in my walk and in your walk, where we have to ask the question, uh, what, we, what do we do when the decisions that we have to make might not benefit us directly? And at that moment... Uh, some of you might be here right now. At that moment, you're going to have to decide whether or not you and I are consumers or followers of Jesus, right? So there's going to hit a point in all of our lives where the decisions that we have to make might not benefit us directly. And at that moment, you're going to have to decide whether or not you are a consumer or a follower of Jesus. Last week, Aswan talked about discipleship and what it meant to follow uh, a great leader or to be a disciple uh, thousands of years ago, and people would pack up their bags, leave everything they had to go to a faraway land and follow and and study under a great teacher or a great leader. Now I don't necessarily think that you and I have to go to a faraway land, like we don't have to go to Piscataway to, to to follow Jesus, there's nothing good below the George Washington Bridge anyway. But we don't have to do that, but we will have to make decisions in, in which we're gonna have to, uh, it's gonna be a bright line in the sand and we're gonna have to decide whether or not we are a consumer or a follower of Jesus. And this isn't just for us today. Uh, I think everybody in, in the history of time that has followed Jesus had to answer these questions. Right, So when Jesus was first born and he hits the scene, it's in Jerusalem and there are a bunch of people that are following Jesus because he's curing people, he's, he's uh, giving sight to the blind, he's giving great answers to everybody, and he is attracting thousands of people everywhere he goes. And people start to get excited because throughout the, the history of Israel, there had been um, people that would restore the kingdom of Israel back to Jewish rule. So when Jesus was born and when Jesus was on the scene, there were people that wanted Jesus to get rid of the Roman rulers and establish Jewish rule. So it would be like living in America when when Great Britain uh, had control over the United States, right? So even though we lived here, uh, the British people, we had to pay taxes to them, and they ran the shots. And over the course of time, there were people that uh, in Israel that would would start a revolt. And they would start something and they would restore the kingdom of Israel back to the Jewish nation and everybody was excited. And when Jesus hit the scene, people thought that's what he was gonna do too. But then his disciples found out that, yo, this dude Jesus actually isn't even about that. He told them, hey, instead of establishing an earthly kingdom, uh, we're gonna restore the Jewish rule. I'm actually gonna get on the cross and die. And right there, people had to decide whether or not they were going to be consumers, where they would live a life that everything pointed back to them and their uh, satisfaction, or if they were going to follow Jesus. Now, all of us have to answer that question on a pretty regular basis. I have to answer that question even as a church planter and as a pastor. It's ridiculously easy for me to live a life where I seek everything that's going to benefit me, even everything, my relationships, this church, you name it. But that's embarrassing, but that's also uh, very true. And I don't think that I'm alone in that boat. So we, we all have to make these decisions whether or not we're gonna be consumers and followers. And today, what we're talking about is something that is so amazing because it is one of the brightest lines uh, that shows us where we are, whether or not we're being consumers or followers of Jesus. Now, the first couple of weeks, we've looked at our values here at Renaissance. Basically, we wanna answer the question, Why are we here, right? Like, why start another church? When I first met some people, the first question was, like, why are you starting another church? And that's a very good question. Um, And we looked at our values. The first value was the gospel. Uh, We looked at that in the first week, that everything we do is really uh, girded under the fact that Jesus uh, lived and died on the cross, but was also raised from the dead. And because he raised from the dead, uh, the early community gave their entire lives. Some people actually died to follow him. Um, but it was something so, so bold and so amazing that it changed the course of history. The second week, uh, we looked at something called diversity, being a church that represents this neighborhood of all colors, all ethnicities, all age groups, all socioeconomic brackets, that everybody uh, in this room would be a family of followers of Jesus. Last week, we looked at discipleship, uh, what it means to submit all of life to Jesus, and today, we're looking at justice. Now, at, at first glance, At first glance, justice might be something that you think about, and you're saying, well, I don't know how this really fits in the mission. I don't know how this is going to impact me directly. But justice, I'll just throw this out there and say this now. Justice is something that is so integral. It is so important to your faith that unless you are doing justice, you can't be a follower of Jesus. It is something that's so important to Jesus. And as a pastor, I would be negligent if I didn't talk about it. It is so, it is so necessary. It is the, so, so key that if we, if we don't do this, we will forever be consumers and never followers. We'll forever be consumers and never followers. So what does it even mean to be uh, connected to, to Jesus? Uh, I think we're going to answer that question in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but even for those in here who, who wouldn't necessarily consider yourselves a Christian, I think we have to even ask ourselves, what am I in this thing to follow or to be a consumer? So Justin just read a scripture from Isaiah and it packs a punch, right? So it, it packs a, such a strong punch that I think we should just get right into the meat of what it says. And we're gonna answer three questions today. Uh, the, the three questions we're gonna answer are, um, why is, is justice important? or how important is justice, what is it, and how do we become people that are doing it, right? So three things, the importance of justice, the meaning of justice, and how do we become people who do justice in the world. So let's start at looking at what the, people, what the passage says about these people in Isaiah. It's actually a really amazing passage. Some of you guys have probably read it before. Um, it's a really, really incredible passage of scripture. And in verse two of Isaiah 58, God starts talking about a certain type People, if you still have your Bibles handy, if you still have your iPhone app ready, you can pull that one up. So the uh, the Bible says that uh, there are people that God is talking about, and it says they seek me daily, right? So in the Hebrew scriptures, when it says something like "seek me daily," uh, it, what it's basically talking about are a group of people that went to temple every single day for worship, right? Uh, they went to for prayer, for for to read the scripture, for worship. And these people were were very devout. It wasn't like they just went one time. They didn't come every third week. Um, They were going to temple day after day. So these were very religious people. These were people that that on the outside looked like they were doing everything perfect. Um, And there's something startling that happens. God is not answering any of their prayers. So even though they're praying, and even though they're going to temple, and even though they're reading scripture... And and on top of that, these people are actually fasting, right? So they're not eating on purpose. They're walking past Popeyes, they're smelling the chicken, and they don't even go inside. Um, They're doing this on purpose, all out of devotion to God. But God is not answering their prayers. So they're angry, and they don't know uh, what it is that God uh, is up to, why isn't God answering our prayers? We thought we did everything right, and God gives them an answer. They're, they're, they're accusing God and they're saying, God, why aren't you answering us? Why aren't you listening to us? How come we're praying and praying and praying and you're not giving us answers? God gives them a response in, uh, in verse five through seven, what real worship is and what a real fast is and what it really means to seek after God. So, what, so God is approaching these people and he's saying, I'll show you what a real fast is. I'll show you what real worship is. I'll show you what really being connected to me is. I'll show you what really following me is And he says this, is it not to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke, to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to see the naked and clothe him? Now, let me just be super clear and direct about this. What God is saying here in the scripture is, it doesn't matter how many songs you sing, it doesn't matter how much you give in the offering bucket, it doesn't matter how many times you come to church, if you're not practicing justice, you're not following me. If, it doesn't matter how many times you come to church, and this church is a great one to come to next Sunday and every other Sunday after that, by the way. It doesn't matter how much you give, and the offering basket will be going out at the end of service. Right? If you're not practicing justice, you're not following me. Now, Jesus says some really startling things in Matthew 25, uh, some stuff that, you know, some people might be thinking, well, that's just the Old Testament. We're under grace, right? Uh, Jesus really is not that intense about any of that stuff. Uh, In Matthew 25, Jesus starts talking about justice and and this theme. And basically, I'll set the stage for you in a second. Jesus is gathering a bunch of people, and he's saying, now, this is what it's going to be like at the end. And in Matthew 25, 41, it should be on the screen, It says, uh, the Lord will say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. I was a stranger, and you didn't give me shelter. I was sick, and I was in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or in sick, or in prison, and didn't help you? When did we see you in this condition? The Lord will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Now, basically Jesus is saying this. If your religion hasn't made it from your heart to your hands, it's worthless. If your religion, if the things that we profess hasn't made it, hasn't made the travel, hasn't made the journey from our hearts to our hands, throw it away, get your refund because it's not worth it anything now if we don't love the poor if we don't love the hungry if we don't love those who need clothes and the the naked part always kind of throws me off like if i see somebody naked i'm going the other direction right (laughs) because that's bugged out you need to put some clothes on everybody else i'd help them out right so if you don't help these people jesus is saying then you really can't love me Right? First John, uh, G- John Jesus' brother, picks up on this in the book of 1 John 4 and 20, and he asks a question that all of us have to answer, right? If you don't love the people that you do see, how in the world can you love God who you can't see? Has anybody ever seen Jesus before? Not some dude named Jesus, like Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? So if you haven't ever seen Jesus, and we claim to love him, but we can't love the people that we do see, that's an impossibility, so a deep social conscious and a life poured out in deeds of service to others is the inevitable sign of real faith and a real connection with God. A sensitive social conscious and a life poured out in deeds and service to others is the inevitable sign of real faith and a real connection to God. So basically God is saying this, if you think you're connected to me, Right. If you think me and you are connected, if you think where you're you're following me and you're not just being a consumer, if your life isn't marked by this, then you're fooling yourself. Right. So every every heart condition or every condition that's known to man, uh, they all have symptoms. Right. So if you have the Ebola virus, you have a certain number of symptoms, and you and I can go on WebMD and and check symptoms out to see if we have a certain condition. Side note, WebMD. Uh, has terribly convinced me on a number of occasions that I was about to die like in the next two days. Anybody ever did that before? Once, a couple of weeks ago, I was convinced that my retina, my eye was detached and I was gonna to have to have a surgery to fix it. And a couple of weeks before that, I was convinced I had a brain tumor, so. WebMD is a little scary, but uh, the truth of the matter is there are some symptoms that are associated with every sort of condition, right? If you have diabetes, you have a certain number of symptoms. And Jesus is here saying, the symptom of a real faith is really caring about other people. The symptoms of a real and legit faith are caring for people. And this isn't for the people that are like super deep, right? Jesus juniors and people who go to church all the time. Like this is for everybody who wants to say that I am a follower of Jesus. Now, I have a question. Why would why would Jesus say this? Like why would God say that in, there's a in order to have a real love and a real faith for him, you have to care about people. Why would he say that? We're gonna to get to that in just a second. I wanna make you feel a little bit more guilty first before we get to that. Kidding. No, so, um, so that was the importance of justice. And I think it's a pretty clear and easy way to say like, all right, Jesus that's probably pretty important, right? So what is, what is justice? What is it? When Jesus talks about justice, I think we have to first go back to the Isaiah passage to get a look at that. Uh, there's something that's going on in the background of Isaiah that we have to reference, right? So in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, there's a principle that every time you talk about justice, you see a principle called shalom, right? Anybody ever heard of what shalom is, right? So shalom is the principle behind every single time we see the word uh, justice in the Bible. And in the, in the uh, verses, we see um, a a real literal thing for what to do, right? Actually share your food with those who are hungry. Actually uh, give clothes to those who are in need. Give, uh, visit those who are in prison. Neil Plantinga, he's a theologian, and he describes what shalom is. Uh, He says, the, the shalom or justice would be the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. We translate it as peace, but it means a lot more than that. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight, a rich, of, a rich state of affairs in, in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be, right? So here's the way things ought to be, right? There are kids that probably go to this school and other schools in this neighborhood, and statistics show that if a child is not reading by grade level, um, by the age, by about third or fourth grade, they have about an 80% chance of being in prison at one point in their life. Now, nobody in here will tell me that, you know, oh, that's the way things should be, right? Seven-year-olds can't read? Yeah, yeah, ship them off to prison. And Shalom is not just... Uh, giving somebody a handout, not just fixing, you know, not just buying somebody Popeyes. Shalom is addressing the systemic and overall needs of the entire community. Shalom is identifying and, and seeing the way things are, and, and and moving as a as a unit to to make things the way they ought to be. It means not seeing anything of yourself; uh, that everything you have isn't your own, but that you would give anything to see the universal flourishing, not just of the people that you like, but of everybody. Right, So I think, I think a lot of us in here get uh, this principle of justice, but we, we, we apply it mostly to those who are the most closely connected to us. So any, any good parent in here worth their weight in salt would sacrifice for their children, right? You would sacrifice for your child. B, you would sacrifice for your daughter, of course, right? And, you know, for our brothers and sisters and siblings and dear friends and spouses, we would sacrifice to make sure that they are good. But in being a follower of Jesus, Jesus is calling us to take it another step further. He's saying, no, it's not, it's not just good that you're going to do that for the people that you really love, but that you and I would seek the shalom, seek the peace, seek the way things ought to be for everybody that we come across. It means that we share our stuff, and it means that we don't see anything we have as our own. Now, scale of 1 to 10, how guilty are we feeling, right? 11? Before I got to this point in my own preparation, I was at about an eight and a half, right? I bought somebody Popeyes two and a half weeks ago, a two-piece and a biscuit, and I started feeling better about myself, right? I was at a nine and a half, that took me back down a point. I'll be up a point by tomorrow. Um, but let me let me be super duper clear on this one. Guilt is never, ever, ever, ever for any reason the solution. Right, So in this passage, uh, in Isaiah 58, you see these people who are extremely self-centered. They're asking God, God, uh, we have done this, and we have prayed, and we have fasted, and you still haven't answered our prayers. Now, the last thing that God wants you to do is to add another thing to your list that you're not already doing. Right, So now you can wake up in the morning and say, man, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. All I did was watch Sports Center, and now I'm being stingy with my stuff. Just another thing to make you feel worse. Now, that is the opposite of what God wants for you. The opposite of what God wants is for you to feel guilty about uh, not giving people your stuff and for you to go out one day and try to relieve the guilt and give something off to to feel better for 20 minutes and then the next week feel bad again and it will be this never ending song and dance of guilt uh, and it is an intoxicatingly terrible roller coaster to be on, so don't even get on the ride. Don't even get on that one. On our own, uh, this is an impossible obligation right? So what Jesus is calling us to do in justice is impossible for you to do it. I'll just say right now, has anybody ever, right, has anybody in this room can say, you know what, I'm doing a fantastic job with justice. I am nailing, I'm hitting home runs out the park, right? Nobody, nobody. On our own, this is an impossible standard, Uh, and what God doesn't want to do is load us with yet another thing to add to our plate. So if it's not guilt, Uh, then what is it? What is it that will make you and me the type of people that would actually do the justice that Jesus is calling for? It won't be guilt. The only solution is gratitude. The only solution to, 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 to our hearts, the only solution to actually becoming the people that God wants us to be isn't in working really hard, isn't in adding another thing to the list. It's gratitude for what has already been done. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the gospel, and we defined the gospel as this. uh, Unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Unconditional acceptance given to uh, an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Now, how many of us in here feel really deserving of everything that God gives us right now? Not too many of us, right? And the, the soil in which God wants to grow our faith is gratitude, that even though you and I can uh, make mistakes in about a thousand different ways, uh, that God still accepts us and that God still calls us his own. And that right there is the only way that you'll truly be grateful. That's the only way that you and I will truly ever practice justice out of that soil, knowing that we've been given a gift that was free. We've been given a, such, a, such a blessing by God that we can pour that out on other people. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen uh, Les Miserables, uh, it's my wife's, my wife's favorite uh, musical. We went to the movie theater to watch it. She cried and sang through the entire thing. It was pretty embarrassing, actually. Like, she was drooling in the popcorn. No, she wasn't doing that. I had the popcorn, so she wasn't doing that. The, um, but in Les Miserables, there's this scene. There's this guy named Jean Valjean. And basically, let me set it up a little bit. Um, in this one, I think uh, we got a, move, a, a clip from the movie with uh, Liam Neeson, the dude from Taken. I think they're on like Taken 212 now. He's just walking around threatening people. But in this scene, Liam Neeson is a guy named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean is a dude that's on a run. He has no food, he has no money, he has no place to live. He has nothing, uh, nothing on his own. He just got freed and he doesn't have anything on his own. And he's staying uh, with a priest. And uh, watch this clip of how it rolls out.
1: anybody there Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty.
0: And I, I absolutely love, 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 love that clip. It messes me ev- with me every single time because what changes a heart isn't guilt. What changes a heart is knowing that you got an incredible gift, and out of that single gift, you can pour out everything on other people. Can you imagine the way he would have lived his life? Can you imagine the way that he uh, saw the gifts and the goods that he had? He didn't look at anything as they were his own. He knew that everything in his life had been a gift and he can give that to everybody else and that would be justice. Now scripture tells a similar story uh, about me and you and I wanna read it from Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, one through 10, it should be on the screen. Uh, It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were uh, by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and sealed us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast, for we, for me and you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Me and you, are God's handiwork. The work that, uh, that God ha- has put in all of our lives and he has made us to do the good works. And the only thing that's gonna get us there isn't in feeling guilty, it is in uh, cherishing and reflecting and bathing in this truth that we just read from Ephesians. That while we were dead, God gave us this gift and we can pour that gift out on others. And that's what's gonna make us generous to do justice. And it won't be thinking about how bad we are, but it'll be thinking about how good God is in the gift that he gave us. So, I want to talk about a little bit about shalom and and restoration and justice and what does it look like to fix things to be the way they ought to be. So, we have a friend with us today, the one, the only Bobby Ray Charles. He's going to come up to the stage. Give Bobby a, a very warm round of applause as he comes up. Keep clapping. He, he's not here. Keep clapping until he comes up. Come on, Bobby. Now, Bobby has an amazing story of, of, of seeing... Yeah, I went right there. Text it real quick. Oh, happy day. Yeah. they <laughs> yeah. actually sounded pretty good. All right, so uh, Bobby has an amazing story uh, of how two very ordinary Christians entered his life and did some, uh, some cool things, and we see how his life has uh, really benefited and how amazing he's doing right now. So, Bobby, tell us a little bit about your childhood.
2: Um, actually... I grew up in Queens, in an abusive home. Um, my dad was absent most of the time. Um, at the age of three, I suffered dirt, the green burns, and I was taken out of my home. Um, I, I ended up going to foster care, um, after foster care, after foster care, to group homes, to different group homes, until eventually I end up in Children's Village, which is in Westchester.
0: You going. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. keep going.
2: All right, so after Westchester, I met um, some people from Young Life, Aswan Morris. Where is he? Right there. Um, I hated this dude, Guts. He always used to come up to me and ask me if I needed anything to come talk to him. I always had the mean mug face. They didn't, didn't want to talk to anybody. I was met at the world. Uh, until one day, I found out some incredibly bad news at Children's Village, and I ran away. Um, and started doing starting indulging in criminal activity, I got arrested, and I had no one to advocate for me. Um, I was going away for a long, long time, and I remember, "Where's that Carter that Aswan Morris?" I called Aswan, and he was there for me. He came, he explained my situation. Um, I did end up going away uh, and I but he never left my side, no matter what. And I had no one, no one by my side. No family, nobody. Aswin continued to give me letters, come visit me, give me food. Uh, even when I seemed like, I'd, I was like, why are you helping me? Like, please, like, stay away from me. Um, but that, that was the basic, basic of it.
0: And how'd you get to Harlem? I got to Harlem
2: because um, a miracle happened. Um, I was supposed to be deported. Um, actually, I found out I was from Haiti, and I didn't have—I wasn't documented, so I was going to be deported. And some way, somehow, um, we found out that I was just a youth. I was a youthful offender. They charged me as an adult, and I was—I I was released. But I had no place to stay. Um, for a couple nights, i, I rode the train—a train back and forth. And I would come visit Aswan, and he would be like, where, where you staying, man? And I'd be like, ah, oh, my friends, you know, they live over there. You know, I'm good, I'm good. So Aswan said, you know what, you could come stay with me. And I said, man, you, are you serious? You got, you just got married, you got two daughters, one kid on the way, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, come stay with me. I was like, maybe you should go up, talk to your wife about this. <laughs> You you ain't sounding right. But Heather, she adopted me like her own son, and she let me stay on the couch, which was cool.
0: And tell, yeah, please, wrap that up. And uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your life right now, what are you doing, where are you living? Um,
2: Now, I live in Brooklyn. I have my own place. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm also in an a internship, a year-long internship, which I go through Monday through Friday, and I also have a job on the weekend, so everything's great for me right now.
0: <laughs> so I, I wanted to tell that story, A, because it inspires me every single time I hear it, to hear how, you know, ordinary people like me and you can really see things restored to the way things ought to be. To see Bobby uh, doing a great job in life right now is the way things ought to be. So, let me pray for us. That's a sign that we need to pray and stop. So, (laughs) Father, I'm I'm grateful for my brother Bobby. I'm grateful for what he means to so many people in this community. Uh, Jesus, we we, we pray that we would be a people that are devoted to justice. God, that we wouldn't be consumers. God, that we wouldn't be people that, that just live this life to try to get everything out of it to point back to us. But, Father, we would be people that are dedicated uh, to seeing justice happen, to seeing shalom restored, to seeing kids in this neighborhood better, to seeing uh, the right way of life. God, your kingdom come. So, Father, we pray in Harlem as it is in heaven. God, use us. But, Father, in, in all of our pursuits, I pray that you would keep it fresh in our minds what Jesus has done for us. And, God, that that would be the fuel and the soil for everything we're doing. God, I pray for Bobby as he's uh, doing so great right now in life. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for favor. I pray for him to continue to do as amazingly and touch lives like he's doing. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.